I love it. It's it's one of my favorite stories to tell, and it's uh, definitely my favorite nonprofit to give back to because it is it is a cool thing and it's necessary. We're teaching students who are going home and teaching their parents about what we do on the farm. So it's it's really neat. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Welcome back to another episode of Small Minded. I've been teasing out this guest interview for a couple of weeks now because I've just been so excited to bring her to you. Today, we are speaking with my friend, Melissa Nelson of Hungry Canyon. I first came across her on Instagram. No, scratch that. I first came across her on a podcast by my friend Dana, Rural Revival. And in Melissa's interview with Dana, I learned about this ag-based greeting card business that she had created. And in the years since that episode and since following her over on Instagram, we've been DMing and then now we're friends. We talk and we like aspire to do things and we run business ideas by each other. And she's just so, so cool and inspirational, you guys. And I am so happy that we found some time in her schedule to get her on the podcast. As you listen to the episode, you'll understand why I'm so grateful to have her time because Melissa is truly the doer of all the things. Not only is she wife to a husband who's a farmer, which is, as we all know, a time cramp, uh, she has two young boys that she is raising. She's the owner of her own business, Hungry Canyon. And in addition, she is a volunteer in her community and she has a full-time job at Morningside University where she helps youth who are interested in agricultural careers get placed. And she kind of advises them on future jobs that might fit their interests. And she helps line them up with externships so they can actually go and experience what a real life job in this career path would be like. And Melissa is just awesome, you guys. She's started a nonprofit. She has continually been one to get these ideas that are so creative and innovative. And not only does she let them remain ideas, but she takes the next step to get them to fruition. So in today's episode, I'm really, really excited to talk about all those things with Melissa, plus a few things that I didn't know in the past, like her first full-time paying job, or not full-time, but her first paying job was dressing chickens. Did not know that. Um, But she is really just such an inspiration and such a fun person to chat with. So without further ado, here is my friend Melissa from Hungry Canyon. I am so pumped to have my friend Melissa here today with us on Small Minded. Hey, Melissa. Hi, Molly. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for finding time to do this. Melissa is a busy mom, a teacher, a farmer, a small business owner, a what, all the things. And so I'm just like so tickled that we found time for you to be on this episode. So thanks. I am excited to have found time too. Uh, I feel like when I introduce myself to people, sometimes I am a certified wearer of hats. And that's what we love. 
Yep. All the different hats. So yeah. That's a lot of the reason why I started the podcast was like, I know so many people in small towns that are doing all the things they are raising families. They have a job. They might have a side hustle. They're volunteering in a million different places and in a million different ways. And I just really feel like small town people get shit done for a lack of better words. And when I think of somebody who's managing so many different hats, but doing it all well and showing all the sides of it on social media, there's no one better for this than you. I'm so happy to have you here. That like makes me blush thinking about you saying that. Thank you. I'm flattered. Um, Yeah, I'm actually uh, here recording from Main Street of my small town. Uh, So it's kind of fun to, you know, see other movers and shakers, as I would call them, um, out and about in town today. So yeah, we live about uh, 40 minutes east of Sioux City in rural Northwest Iowa. Uh, and yeah, I'm a, a wife. My husband is a farmer. Uh, we feed cattle and have cows and we farm here in Northwest Iowa with our two boys, Roy and Charlie. And then I also am a teacher at Morningside University in the ag department. And my side business is Hungry Canyon, which we might talk about later. We will talk about all of that as the interview <laughs> progresses, but yeah, that's a nice little synopsis of who you are in a nutshell, but let's just dig right in. So when did you tell me your life story? Like, okay, tell me your life story. Such a big ask. Um, but tell me about like growing up rural and in a small town, what were some of your experiences? And then when did you know that this is what you wanted for your adult life and your family too? So I grew up in a small town in Nebraska, which it's a really big deal that I crossed the border and live in Iowa now because (laughs) I never in a million years dreamed that I would ever leave Nebraska. Uh, uh, I, are you a Huskers fan? We, do we need to I end am. this right now? <laughs> oh, I no. am. I don't know how you're not with you live in Nebraska. <laughs> it's the only thing we have. It's literally the only thing that we have is the Huskers. So everybody's a Husker fan, but I did go to UNL. I am an actual uh, Nebraska Cornhusker. I have a degree from UNL. So um, I grew up in Nebraska outside of Omaha. My hometown is Springfield, which was a town about 1400 people, but it's very close to Omaha. So it was very, uh, like suburban. Um, my sisters and I were the only kids in our school besides our cousins and just a couple other families that were actually farmers in the area, even though we were in a rural area. Um, our town, our school was in the middle of a cornfield. Like we were in a rural, the rural suburban area. Um, we were the only farm kids. And so Growing up, we loved sharing about what we did on the farm. We loved bringing our classmates home from school to do chores with us. Um, We were in 4-H. We did all those things. We had friends that helped us with our 4-H calves and our 4-H pigs at the fair. And it was just fun for us to be able to share that with people our own age in school who didn't have that upbringing. And so growing up in agriculture, um, I said, I have two sisters, so I, we didn't have any brothers and growing up, there was people in town that would always say to my parents, like, Oh, don't you wish you had boys on the farm? And it was, it's just one of those things. Like my dad said, no, right. My parents said, no, they, we did everything on the farm. We, (laughs) we didn't have a choice. We didn't have brothers. We wanted brothers. Maybe we thought that they would uh, pick up more of the slack, but we did everything. And so Um, I really think that is who, or a lot of what made us who we are today. And so 
It's funny, my dad, I remember to him telling me when I was in high school, go get a job where you don't have to work so hard. Um, go find a job where you don't have to work so hard on like on the farm. And we have to laugh because all three of us girls married farmers and we all are in agriculture. So ha dad. Um, but like I said, I went to UNL, I majored in ag communications and education. And then after college, I had, I had a serious boyfriend who lived in Iowa and I knew that I wanted to go be in his area. And, uh, there was an opportunity there that I kind of, you know, made happen, I guess it was, I started a nonprofit called Siouxland Agriculture in the Classroom. And so that was right out of school. I moved up to Northwest Iowa and started the nonprofit, visited elementary schools for six years, talking about where food comes from, built that nonprofit, fundraised a lot of money for that, uh, lived and breathed Siouxland Ag-, Ag in the classroom for six years, and then moved to Morningside. So I, Mark and I, my husband, were pregnant with our first son, and there is an opportunity at Morningside, the small college in Sioux City in the ag program to hire a position that was really perfect for me. And at the time we didn't have health insurance benefits. We were living the nonprofit uh, salary life and the self-employed farmer life. And so the idea of having benefits was something that was really appealing. Plus the position was something that fit right into my wheelhouse. It was working with college students, helping them figure out what their dream job is and connecting them with employment and resources in the area to help them live out that dream like we had been able to do uh, when I left college. So that's where I work now. Uh, We have added, Mark and I have added another son to our our family. We have um, a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old right now. And yeah, I work at Morningside full time, but then I have Hungry Canyon too. So that's my, that's my creative outlet and my fun, my fun stuff. Oh my gosh. Let's unpack some of this because like you have so much life experience wrapped up into just like 30 something years. Like this is so awesome. So I want to unpack a little bit more about like growing up in your community and specifically about, like you said, a lot of people like kind of put these old school values onto you and your family about like growing up in a family of girls and thinking that these girls weren't cut out for the ag way of life or couldn't do the farm work like a boy could. And did that ever get you down or did you use it as a motivator as you went through high school and college? I think it was more like that. Uh, That's definitely my personality is, you know, like you tell me that I can't do something, I'm going to do it 10 times harder, faster, stronger. So uh, we like, I'm trying to think of a, a, a story or an experience to share, but we just did everything on the farm. And that was kind of the way that I, my parents both grew up on farms. Like everyone in our family has been involved in agriculture since the beginning of time, you know? So we, uh, that was just like everybody else says, when you grow up in ag, it's just in your blood and that's your lifestyle. And we just, we did that. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's shaped who we are. And like, I am not afraid to work on the farm or work cattle with my husband. That's actually, I would love to do it more than I do. Um, My sister, my middle sister works uh, with her husband on the farm every day. They, uh, she runs the grain cart and the combine while her kids are right next to her. And um, that's just, that's what we do. 
There's so much to be said about the work ethic that comes from the Midwest. And like then to add that layer of coming from a farm family, like you said, if there was a job to be done, you just rose to the occasion and you did it. And then that's something that carries with you throughout the rest of your life. And for a lot of people I know specifically who grew up in that way of life, they take that work ethic kind of like in your story to the office or into a nonprofit or wherever they find themselves. And so I really, like you said, I think that probably set you up for the life that you have now and what you work towards and the kind of schedule that you keep. Let's talk about the nonprofit a little bit more. So you said it was Siouxland Ag in the Classroom. So how did that kind of come to be? When did you realize that that was something that was needed in classrooms in Northwest Iowa? And then talk about what you did when you would go into the classroom full of students. Yeah, Uh, this is one of my favorite things to talk about because if it's possible to have a legacy project at 30 years old, like this is my legacy project. This is what um, I am. I'm proud of everything that I've built and everything that I've done, but this is one that I'm really proud of. When I was getting ready to graduate from college, I knew I wanted to tell people about agriculture. Like when I was growing up outside of Omaha, I saw the disconnect between the producer and consumer that we talk about every day in ag. I saw that. And so I knew that my audience was not necessarily high school ag students, but it was communicating about agriculture to the general public. And so I started thinking, what is a job out there that I can do that's going to allow me to share that story of agriculture with people who need to know? Well, I have, I had kind of a uh, a knack for working with kids. I love elementary students. And so I thought, you know, Ag in the Classroom is a, a national program. There's all, it looks a lot of different ways across the country. Um, Some states have their own uh, organization where they have maybe one person that oversees projects for the whole state. Other states, like, for example, Illinois has a Ag in the Classroom coordinator for every single county in the state. It's just kind of across the board. It looks different. Well, I had thought I was I remember I was sitting at my internship with the Angus Association the summer before I my senior year before I graduated. And I thought. I'm just going to see what's out there for Iowa ag in the classroom. I knew that Mark lived in Iowa and was going to go back home to the farm and he was going to be there. So I thought, I'm just going to see what opportunities there might be with the state of Iowa. And there happened to be, it was like a really outdated part of the Iowa Farm Bureau website because a lot of ag in the classrooms are run through the Farm Bureau system. Um, It was a page for Iowa ag in the classroom and they had district or regional contacts. And so there was someone who was in the town over from where Mark grew up. I thought, I'm just going to shoot this lady an email and say, Hey, this is who I am. This is where I come from. I have a connection to your area. I'd love to see what opportunities you have for employment. And so this lady called me and she's like, well, we don't really have anything set in stone, but we have some ideas. Let's meet. So I went up there and met with her, Uh, ended up being, uh, she's a very good friend of mine now and a mentor and someone who really has a big part in this Ag in the Classroom story. Um, Because long story short, there is her, three other farmers and myself that went to the Farm Bureau in our county and said, let's hire someone full time. 
uh, let's do a full-time Ag in the Classroom coordinator for this county. And we happen to have Sioux City in the county that we live in here. And they said, we'll for anyone, you- sorry to interrupt. Anyone oh, yeah. not yep. from Iowa, Sioux City is like one of the major metro areas in the Northwest corner of the state. And it also is like on the border between South Dakota and Iowa. And it's, yeah, a large metro. Yeah. So it's like a hundred thousand people or something like that, but it's um, in three states. So it's in Nebraska, Iowa, and South Dakota, there's Sioux city. So we went to the farm bureau and we said, this is our idea. And they said, okay, Melissa, we'll hire you for a year and we'll see where it goes from there. So, I mean, I don't think I was as scared as I probably should have been. And I think that's (laughs) due to the fact of growing up in the chaos of our family farm operation and just the mindset that my my dad has about just going out and doing stuff. And I had that. So I was like, oh, sure. A year. I can totally make that happen. So we eventually added six other county farm bureaus in the area. They paid in to fund this project. Um, We got donations from ag businesses, from local producers, from grants. Um, I mean, we raised $120,000 a year to pay for me, another coordinator, and then all the activities that we did. We didn't hire a second person probably until like year three or four, but just, I mean, everything that comes with building a nonprofit uh, with, I mean, it's a business, but it's not one that's like making money, I guess you can be, I always think about how you can be entrepreneurial in different ways than just owning a business that makes you money. So this was my way of being entrepreneurial with this nonprofit. And so we just kind of flew by the seat of our pants for a long time. Uh, still to this day, I'm even though I don't work for the organization anymore, I'm on the board of directors as a founding member. And um, we fly by the seat of our pants all the time, but we do it less and less every year. We figure out, you know, like we have a lawyer on our board who helps us with the articles of like the incorporation and with the bylaws and all the things that you have to have to be a legal 501c3. And we have people who are in charge of fundraising and we have all these plans. And um, so it's really fun to still be a part of it and to see it continue to grow. And I love that you were able to take this like little fledgling idea that you had a little bit of like knowledge that it existed and it could happen and it could be a great thing. And then you took the risk to reach out to that woman in the town over and you took that risk to go to the farm bureau and ask for a year. And then that one year turned into six, which has turned into a fruitful nonprofit that helps all of these kids in classrooms learn about where their food comes from and farm life. It's awesome. I love it. It's, it's one of my favorite stories to tell. And it's uh, definitely my favorite nonprofit to give back to because it is, it is a cool thing and it's necessary. We're teaching students who are going home and teaching their parents about what we do on the farm. So it's, it's really neat. A huge ripple effect. So, um, is there like a story or a time that sticks out in your mind about going into a classroom and like the lesson that you taught or the feedback you got from the kids while you were there? Yeah, you could probably see my eyes light up as I am listening to that because I, I, I mean, that was one of my favorite things about this was, and maybe I'll go back a step. I never in a million years would have seen myself in sales. The thought of going and selling equipment or um, seed or chemical or something like made my skin crawl. I don't like asking people for money. I don't like selling things. 
But what I learned through this nonprofit was that I love to sell things that I love. So being able to go share these stories of the things that I learned or that I heard and saw in the classroom and taking it and selling it to the ethanol plant and saying, these are the stories that I'm hearing. This is why you need to give money from your organization to ours to fix that, to share that story of agriculture. So one story that comes to mind is uh, we were reading a book in the class, which the Iowa Ag Literacy Foundation is an awesome organization. If you guys are in Iowa, even if you're not, if you're teachers or just people in your community who want ag education materials, Iowa Ag Literacy Foundation, uh, I'll give them a big plug. They have hired uh, or commissioned a, an author to write books from a third grade a third grader's perspective that are nonfiction. Uh, they have real pictures. They're about real kids, about their family farming operations. And uh, one of the um, books was about a beef cattle operation. And this third grade girl in the, in the book, I'm talking to a third grade class in Sioux City to set the stage. Uh, I'm reading this book and I'm talking about how this girl's in third grade and she lives on her family's beef cattle operation and blah, 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 blah. One of the students raises her hand and she's like, well, does the little girl go to school? And I was like, yeah, she goes to school. She's in third grade, just like you. And she's like, yeah, but she lives on a farm. And I'm like, I'm just kind of like cringe on the inside, but you know, like kind of laugh it off a little bit. Like, you know, just because she lives on a farm doesn't mean she doesn't go to school. They're thinking like probably Laura Ingalls Wilder, like Like they don't have indoor plumbing or electricity. So there I'm sitting with, uh, you know, a full K through 12 education, a four-year degree. Like I grew up on a farm. I was just like this little girl in this book and I went to school. So that's just one that, you know, I, we could talk about stories all day long, but that's one that I think about. I love that. It gives an opportunity for kids to ask these kind of questions, kind of deconstruct the stereotypes that they may have fashioned and like make real connections with people who probably don't live that far away from them physically, but like in their lifestyle, it's millions of miles away. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yep. Oh, that's so great. And like you said, we could talk about this forever, but we have so much more to talk about. So you became um, part of Morningside University because like you alluded to earlier, you and your husband were married, you were starting a family and it was time to kind of take that next step where you wanted a change of pace in career wise, as well as some of the benefits that a career like that would afford you. And so you said that this, the stars kind of aligned and this position that you took at Morningside University was kind of the perfect spot for you to go because it allowed you to work with kids and then you can help them get experience and placements in these externships so they can learn a little bit more about what a career in various ag industries would look like for them, right? Yeah, exactly. So we require all of our ag students to do a seven-month full-time externship, uh, which is just basically an extended internship. Um, I pair students with industry. Uh, Some of them come in with connections already of where they think they want to complete their externship. Uh, Otherwise, I help connect them with places and employers that I think would work well for them. And so uh, helping them learn about the real world in the real world is a really unique opportunity that I get to share with them. When I talk to students in like high school and college settings about 
finding your dream job. Like sometimes your dream job can change. And sometimes your dream job doesn't look like what you thought it might look like. My dream job when I left college was ag in the classroom. My dream job now is working at Morningside, helping other students find their dream job. So not to be afraid, like I tell them not to be afraid of changing their path or, you know, they don't have to stick with the same dream job that they had when they were six years old or whatever. I love that. And it's so commonplace now. I think that if this conversation was had even 20 or 30 years ago, generationally people took positions or jobs and they stayed there for their whole life. But now like in modern times, I feel like it's okay to have these kids understand that you might have an idea when you're young, you might get a college degree, but then when you go into that role in real life and you learn what it's like to pay bills in real life or the expectations of work-life balance, like it's okay to change your mind and to make a different choice than the one you thought you were going to choose. Uh, so I think that's a really great opportunity for these kids to have. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed helping them. I'm not a, an academic advisor. I don't tell them which classes to take, but I feel like I'm a more of a life advisor where mm -hmm. I can help them find experiences that are going to teach them what they like or don't like about different situations throughout their time when they are in my, you know, in my care. So like a student could come to you while they're at Morningside and say, I really enjoy ag. These are the things about ag I like, but I don't exactly know how that's going to come together in a career. That's exactly what we do. Yep. So then we find job shadow opportunities, say they want to follow a nutritionist for beef cattle, or say they want to go work at an ag bank. Um, and maybe they go to a bank and they realize they don't like sitting in an office all day. And so maybe it's, you know, maybe they need to do something different. So we look at different opportunities for them to find what they want to do. Oh, that is such a gift for kids to be able to have this experience while they're still like, in school and they can make these changes if they need them. They can get that experience before it's like, okay, here you go. Here's your job for the next however long. What exactly. a gift that you're giving these kids to give them the opportunity and then the advising to make choices that align with them. So cool. Okay. So now let's pivot a little bit and talk about Hungry Canyon, which is your entrepreneurial endeavor. Can you tell us a little bit about the birth of Hungry Canyon and what it is that you do? Hungry Canyon is my side business. It's my creative outlet where I make agriculturally accurate greeting cards and gifts. And I, I say this every time I explain it, it sounds hokey, but it is an, a market that I have found that I needed for myself. Uh, and that I have found an audience that really identifies with it. And so it's been really fun to grow this business. Um, I started it when, well, I started it as a hobby when I was dating Mark. I was getting ready to find him a Valentine's Day card. And everything that I would find at the store had dairy cows on it. If it had cows, like we both are an ag, we both like love the agriculture scene, blah, blah, blah. But every card I found had dairy cows on it and we don't raise dairy cows. Or if it had a tractor on it, it was a green tractor and I could never give my red tractor blooded husband a green tractor card. So I thought I have my own set of creativity uh, or creative skills where I can make these cards and I'll just print them out at home and I'll give them to my boyfriend. 
Well, it turned into family and friends uh, wanting cards for their own significant others. And it has blown up from there, I guess. That was uh, back, I started the business as an actual legitimate business in like 2018. So uh, for the last four years, three years, whatever it's been now, three and a half years, um, it has been growing. And now I have different gifty items. I have a few clothing items, apparel, um, but a lot of greeting cards that fit for people like us who uh, know what a manure spreader is and know that, uh, you know, you can't give a green chapter card to someone who has red chapters and so on and so forth. Uh, and even like you explained, like the difference between a dairy cow and a beef cow or beef cattle, like that's not something that like a city person might tell the difference between. But like, I know my husband, if I call a cow or if I call a steer a cow, he's like, Molly, that is a steer. And I'm like, it's, it's all in the cattle family. <laughs> he's like, he's like, it's different. And so, yeah, like people in the ag community, like you can't just go to Walmart and get a generic cow card if it doesn't apply to your business or to your business, to the person that's receiving it, because it just wouldn't make sense. So I love that you saw that opportunity and it wasn't created with this idea to go build this huge business, but it was just like, here's something I can do. And then you let it kind of grow and evolve from there. Yeah. And it's been really fun to, to find just when people identify with the cards that I make. And I, I do have to say that my husband comes up with quite a few of the cards. Uh, I, he is the one that's out farming every day. You know, like he's in the tractor, he's feeding cattle, he's working cows. And so the inspiration comes from the farm. And when he's there, he's kind of a wordsmith. And so he'll come up with something and he'll send me card ideas. And I have the design eye to put it all together and be able to market it. Um, so between the two of us, we make a really good team and it's fun to see people identify with cards that I make. And so like, for example, I have a, a baby card that is the back of a livestock trailer. It's my artwork of the back of a livestock trailer with a baby on board sticker on it, like you would see on a car. And how many people can you give a card that has a livestock trailer on it that says baby on board that's going to get it? Not very many people, but it's fun to see those people who do identify with that because they're people like me, people like us. Oh, I love that. And yeah, it's taking some of those simple things and giving them that unique twist that, like you said, it might not apply to the masses, but the people it does apply to, it is meaningful and it is the bright spot in their day or even in their week. Mm -hmm. um, it's fun. I know that like, yeah, it helps to have that clever mind and to think like, oh, what would be a funny little saying or an ironic saying about this? But there's also very practical times, like I might be revealing too much, but I know that when I went through our first baby, oh, the number of times my husband compared myself to a cow and like we were, I was getting induced and he was like looking at the Pitocin. He's like, oh, we give this to the pigs. And I'm like, I don't need that right now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, so the, it just never ends. And that's, that is our life. Like people and I can, we can mm -hmm. all relate to that. Like that is exactly the kinds of conversations that we had when we went through having babies. And I have a card that is things a cattleman shouldn't say to his wife to his pregnant wife and it's things I love like that 
the quotes that my husband and many others have said, oh, I packed the pulling chains and packed them in the hospital bag. (laughs) You know, like, oh, your outer score is really increased lately. Like those are things that (laughs) she bred back faster than I expected. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And these are things that we in this, and I, I have to laugh that my business is uh, like so niched down. 2% of the population is involved in agriculture. How many of that, what percent of that 2% would buy a greeting card that they're going to give to someone? Not very many, but I found those people and they're buying these cards that we all relate to and we can all laugh about because it's a special community, those of us in ag. So it's, it's really fun. So let's talk about that. You said you found those people and you were able to connect with them, market to them and grow Hungry Canyon. So how exactly did you take the business and grow it so that you could advertise these cards and products to a wider audience? Absolutely through social media, Uh, at least to start. I would post my cards on social media. I started an Instagram account and would share my cards. I had a website. I had these, like, I knew how to do these different skills at the start. So I knew how to build a website. I knew how to run social media accounts, um, do some basic marketing. And so I started doing that. And um, social media was a huge growth point for me. So uh, like this outage of Facebook and Instagram that we had last week, really, it showed a lot of people that you may build your business in social media, but you have to have other avenues of connecting with your customer base. So the fact that I had a website and an email list and um, you know other ways to contact my people was really comforting to me, but also a little scary that, you know, like I built a big following in social media that could be gone tomorrow. But it's it's been fun to find this community of people mostly women, mostly millennials, mostly people who live in towns of like 3000 people or less, or way less than that in the middle of nowhere, who identify with the things, the struggles and the highlights and the life that I live here in my, you know, not the middle of nowhere. I don't live in the middle of nowhere, but to some, it probably would be considered the middle of nowhere. Um, But that's been a really great way for me to grow is through mostly Instagram, but also Facebook as well. And I think that that is like accumulation. Is that the right word? A culmination? I don't know. What culmination, I think. Culmination. Yeah. Thank you. Accumulation versus culmination. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's just a way for all of the things that you had done to that point too, to kind of come together. Like you had experience with growing that nonprofit and marketing it and selling it, like you said, to different companies to invest in. And then you have the experience of being on the farm and you can draw from that for your creative inspiration. And then it all kind of comes together with this, what started as a greeting card company. And you were able to use those skills in both business growth, hard work, and then your marketing to bring this business together and grow it, which is really, really cool. I've had a lot of fun with it and it's fun to see it continue to grow. Um, so I have done some other things where like, I don't know, like newspaper articles or being on podcasts or doing very few and far between like in-person pop-up, uh, vendor shows, um, to kind of get my, my name out there and to really just to connect with 
people like me that identify with these things on my cards in real life. That's so cool. Um, I know that I had originally, I think I found you on a podcast, Rural Revival, which is one of my all-time favorites with Deanna Larson. And I think that's when I first found out about you. And then I went to Instagram and started following you. And shortly thereafter was when you launched one of my absolute favorite lines that you have, which is apparel for kids. And it says, wait for me on the back of the shirts. And it's in that like fluorescent orange or that highlighter yellow for little kids. So that like, not only is the message wait for me, like all the little kids say when they want to ride in the big equipment, right? But it's also like kind of an advocacy for kids' safety on the farm too, right? Yeah. So wait for me collection started two years ago. I was thinking about, I had little kids on the farm and my kids love to be on the farm. They like to go to work with us and we do take them with us. And so that's a big job to take your kids to the farm because it's kind of scary. Like we're doing great things and we're teaching them awesome stuff, but it is also nerve wracking when you're dealing with large equipment or livestock uh, that things can change very quickly. And so to be thinking about the job you're doing, but then also the job of keeping your kids safe, every little thing that we do to help keep them safe is helpful. So I thought, why don't I start offering fluorescent high-vis clothing for kids? Uh, it's something that I've really appreciated for myself. My kids live in this, the sweatshirts and the t-shirts that we have. Um, because if I kick them outside, even if it's just me and the kids playing outside at home on the farm, like not even working, I kick them outside or we go to the park and I scan the horizon and I can find my kids very quickly. Like somehow yeah. they have mm -hmm. a way of like running away or like getting away from you. And so you can find them really easily in this high vis clothing. Um, but it also alerts anybody else who you're with or working with that your kids are more visible. Um, but yeah, it's called wait for me because the kids say that when we take them out, um, they, they want to come with. And so they say, wait for me uh, and their cute little voices that they do. Um, but it's also a reminder for us as parents to wait for our kids and to um, help keep them safe in any way that we can. So we've got the high vis clothing and then also have some um, stickers that go on equipment by like we have them next to the door handle, have them next to the gear shift to the ignition, just little stickers that say wait uh, for little farm hands. It's it was a sticker designed by so my cute. friend Taylor. Yeah, my friend Taylor in New York reached out when I shared about this this spring and she said, can I help design something for this collection? So we worked together to put a sticker together for this equipment um, for the equipment. And so it actually all things kind of changed a little bit this spring. We had a family in our community who lost a child in a farming accident. And so it really just hit all of us really hard here in this community mm -hmm. because it, you realize it could be anybody because we all do what we do. We all take our kids with us to work. And so I thought all the stuff in that wait for me collection, like I have to send those proceeds to people. Like I can't keep that for myself because we have to do something bigger and better with that. I can't do that for me. So anyways, the proceeds with, from anything in the wait for me collection goes to families who've suffered loss or injury of children on the farmer ranch, and then also to farm safety efforts. So here's a plug for anybody out there doing like farm safety days through their school. I know that was another connection to ag in the classroom where um, a lot of schools do farm safety stuff. And so 
I'm sending them stickers to hand out to kids as well. So um, that's another part of that. Um, those proceeds can be donated to causes that help keep kids safe on the farm. Okay. I honestly didn't know that part of it. I knew that this was just a line in your business that I really loved, but to hear the like bigger meaning of it, that's so, so cool, Melissa. And you just kind of like unlocked a memory from my childhood, like growing up in a small town. I do remember like farm safety week and I forgot that I had this memory, but yeah, farm safety week, like there were so many kids that were from farms or would be visiting farms that the teachers would take us out of the classroom and like we go learn about farm safety stuff. And I, I wonder if that's not a thing anymore because a lot it's, of our rural areas around here are a little bit more populated with less of a connection to ag. So I like, it just makes programs yeah. like you're talking about even more important. They, they are not as common as they used to be. Um, so that's, that's a topic for another day probably, but you know, that is an option. There are farm safety um, activities that schools can do. So, yeah. Oh, really cool. Yeah, we could talk about that forever. Um, okay, as we're looking ahead, because you have this experience in retail business, we're not too far removed from some of the biggest shopping days for any retail business. We're talking about like the holiday season, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday. If there is like a few tips that you have as being like a retail product-based business owner, what are some things that you've learned in your time that you would tell other retail or product-based business owners about this upcoming busy season and how to like plan or prepare for these huge shopping days? That's a really good question because I don't know if I do a very good job myself. Oh, <laughs> because... give yourself credit. <laughs> and I always have to think about for me, Christmas is not my big holiday season. I, for some reason, I just, um, you think about retail world, like when you're planning Christmas and you're planning uh, these big holiday seasons, you have to be thinking of that in like April, July, like you're thinking of Christmas like a long time ago. I haven't yet got to that point where I have started thinking about that for at least for Christmas. My Christmas is Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is my biggest holiday of the year. I do Valentine's for kids, which have been a really big hit. That's a really fun thing that I love to do. Um, and then Valentine's Day cards, obviously, like that's the, that's where my bread and butter is. So I've only recently started planning Valentine's Day in advance in the last year or so. Um, before, like I said, this was a hobby. This was a uh, side business for sure. And it still is a side business, but I fly by the seat of my pants a little bit less every year. And so I have started thinking about Valentine's Day. And I think that the, the key for us as small business owners that have big retail seasons is to train yourself, put in your calendar or whatever you have to do to remind yourself that you need to be thinking about Christmas in July and planning ahead and being ready to handle it ahead of time. Um, because especially this year, we were already hearing about how postal service is going to be slowed. Like people can't get anything. I have been trying to order a few products and there's no end in sight of when it's going to, or no light at the end of the tunnel for when these things are going to become available for us. And so there's people are, if there's ever been a better time to think ahead, it's now. So that would be my biggest piece of advice. And it's something I need to remind myself more often is to think ahead because 
last minute works, but only so well. And I think that like when you're at a certain point of your business, especially in the beginning stages, and especially if you're like, you're not like a full fledged or like have a huge inventory or quantity that you're working in. It's okay to do that, like fly by the seat of your pants, especially to like test products, test your market. And like, sometimes I know I'm very similar in that, like, I'll have an idea and I'll be like, let's do it today or start it tomorrow. And then you just kind of develop it and you release and launch it. Not everybody rolls like I do, but I think that like in the beginning stages of your business, that is a lot more likely to happen. But as you kind of expand your shipping radius or your quantities increase, or you are getting a little bit more experience, that's when you start kicking into that phase of planning ahead a little bit more, getting your inventory decided, um, starting to like frame out a little bit more of the actual sales process or system that you're going to follow. So for those of you who are listening that are like, new or you've got this idea running around, it's okay to fly by the seat of your pants. But like Melissa advises, like as you get going, that need to like do those split second decisions and planning become less and less because you have that experience and then you can fall back on it. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Okay. We're getting close on time. So I just have like one more question and then we're going to launch into our small talk round uh, where we just ask random questions off the top of your head. Cool. All right. So in addition to all of these things that we've talked about, you are also a wife to a husband and you're in the middle of harvest, I know, and you're a mom to two small boys and you volunteer and you're active in various roles in your community. This is like a huge ask and it's something I get asked too, but do you have any advice for those busy moms out there in farming communities for trying to at least like just keep your head above water, maybe not like be successful in all the things, but like how do you roll or what advice could you give a mom in that regards? So, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a good question too. That's a I, hard only one. Laugh, I only laugh because isn't that like the question we all want answered? Like, how do we do it all? Um, you said it earlier when you were talking about growing up on the farm and having this work ethic of like, there's a job that needs to be done. And it hit me when you said that, like, obviously we've all heard that before, like there's a job and it has to be done, but you're right. Like that's how we do it for me. Like I make my list. This is what has to happen today. And if I get anything else beyond this list done, cool, but this is what has to be done. And it's a job that just, you, you got to do it. And so uh, I love the analogy of, um, the glass balls and the plastic balls. Uh, I had that in my head too. Uh, I remind myself of it constantly because you have glass balls and you have plastic balls. Sometimes uh, your kids are glass balls and your work is a plastic ball. Some days there are things where your work or your husband or something else is a glass ball and your kids going to the park, that's a plastic ball. It doesn't have to happen. Your glass balls have to stay in the air and the plastic ones can fall and they'll be okay. And so I remind myself of what are my glass balls and what are my plastic balls? And, um, a lot of times my husband and my kids are my glass balls and everything else is plastic, but, um, it's just making that decision on whatever day or whatever minute you're in of the day is what's a glass ball and what's a plastic ball. For me, a lot of times my house is a plastic ball, uh, mopping my floors, plastic ball. Uh, but some days it's a glass ball when the kid 
drops a bottle of juice on the floor and it goes everywhere. Like, okay, now I have a glass ball <laughs> on the ground <laughs> that, I, that I have to, you know, keep above water. But um, I remind myself of priorities and deciding what's glass and what's plastic. That's so good. And I think that with each year of experience too, you know a little bit more about what's the glass versus what's the plastic. And if anybody out there is already following you on Instagram, sometimes those bathtub brews, like those come into play too and make your day just a little bit better. Yep. That's right. Sometimes you just have to drink a beer while your kids take a bath (laughs) or while you take a bath, whatever, whatever, whoever's taking a bath. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. Melissa, let's remind everybody where they can contact and follow you online. And then we'll get into the small talk round. Uh, You can find me on Instagram at Hungry Canyon. You can also find me on Facebook there. Uh, And then I have a website. It's HungryCanyonDesign.com. And you can reach out with a DM. You can call me, text me, email me, however you want to get a hold of me. I'd love to meet you and talk to you. You're so awesome. Okay. So the small talk round is just random questions that I have. I used to write them down, but I really just go off the seat of my pants these days. So I'm just going to ask you questions and then you just respond with like, what's the top of your mind? Okay. 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 All right. Question number one. If any team were to beat the Cornhuskers this year, who would it be? <laughs> I'm just oh kidding. Gosh, you don't have to answer a lot. That. <laughs> I'm just joking. All right. The real question, number one, what was your first paid job that you ever had? My parents are serial entrepreneurs as well. They had 10 different businesses growing up on the farm. Um, We raised 800 lane hens and dressed probably 3000 broilers every summer. And so dressing chickens with my sisters and my parents in our USDA uh, certified or whatever inspected uh, facility. That was the first paycheck I ever got was from dressing chickens. I got paid $5 an hour. Which does not seem like enough. She might owe you. She might have a backlog of payments. Right. <laughs> All right. Question number two, let's say tonight there are bathtub brews in your future. What are you going to be drinking next to the bathtub? Oh, well, I opened a bottle of wine last night. So possibly that, but I like blue moon, light sky. I love that too. Yeah. All right. Question number three, it's fall in rural America on the weekends. What are we most likely to find you doing? Uh, Working on the farm, taking the kids to ride in the tractor, the combine hauling manure. Um, This weekend, we're going out to visit my parents. We're sneaking away during harvest, a big day. Um, we are, my husband has a brother who's going to be running the green cart while we're cutting beans and we're going to go help my parents wean calves out at the ranch in Nebraska. So, um, just a lot of farm, a farming work, I guess, is what we do on the weekends. That's cool. All right. Question number four, what is your favorite thing about living in a small town? Uh, I have a lot of favorite things, but I'm reminded of this because I'm sitting on main street of my small town in Iowa. When I was growing up, my dad would take me to bull sales in the wintertime and we'd look for bulls for our herd. And so in Western Nebraska, there was several towns that had wide main streets where you would park in the middle. And I always said as a, as a kid, as a high school, I said, 
someday I'm going to live in a town where you park in the middle of the street. Long story short, ironically, Mark's, my husband's town has uh, parking in the middle of the street. I'm parked in the, in the middle here. So people are driving by on both sides. And that is one of my favorite things about small towns is that they're just like funny like that. Like you do things that you don't do in the city, like park in the middle of the street. I love it. So it's, it's just fitting, but the people, honestly, the, the places that you can go and the people that you meet in small towns, that's, that's another big one. Oh, I love that. And I've never been to a town where you park in the middle of the street. What? Oh Come my gosh. Maybe we have our Western East thing. West meetup. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're going to have to go to your town and see this. Yeah. In real life. <laughs> All right. Last question. As we're looking ahead, for your future, are there any like steps or big goals that you have that you're like, this is the next thing that I'm taking action on? Yeah, I really want to pair my teaching skills with this like passion for business. So just like I do with my students at Morningside, helping students find their dream job, like I want to help people like me in small towns or rural areas or in agriculture, find that next thing for them, whether it's starting a small business or doing something cool in their town. Um, I really want to help people do that. So trying to figure out how to make that happen is in my future. So cool. So everybody make sure again, you go out and you follow Melissa at Hungry Canyon. So you can see what that next step evolves into. Thank you so much for your time. It was so generous of you to spend this last hour with us. And there were so many gold nuggets. And I know the listeners are going to love this episode. So thank you so much. That makes me happy. Thank you very much, Molly. I love talking to you about this. All right. Bye-bye. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollycanuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well lived being small-minded. <laughs>